right, welcome back to the big program. Time to welcome in our Wednesday co-host, David Schlemko, powered by Cougar Paint and Collision, our family helping your family for over 40 years. Check out cougarcollision.com. Welcome in, Schlemmer. How was your week? Thanks, Kev. Hi, week was pretty good. <laughs> weekend at home, daddy daycare with the ah, kids. and Not a boy. Homesick the last couple of days, so not great, but... Uh, feeling probably the same as all the Oilers the fans Dukes, out there. Yes, like the Oilers fans of the Dukes a little down. He's been a little under the weather, but guts it out. Connor yep. Halley takes a four-day weekend. Duke goes, not a chance. <laughs> I'm in, baby. So Commitment. Yes. Before we get to the Oilers, I just wanted to touch on, because I asked you about the CFL when you just walked in, yep. and you said you were kind of listening on the way in, and we've got a lot of texts coming in, one 833 just about the CFL, and I guess it's, place right now. Wes, I love the CFL. I am proud to love the CFL as well. Matt and LaDuke says CFL has gone way downhill. Secondary pro league. Uh, Zach Kolaris is a prime example of the problem. Used to be a footnote among CFL QBs. Now he's a perennial MOP candidate. He didn't get better. The league got worse. Gord says not that interested in Esks losing or CFL. Barber in uh, we'll get the barber later. Steve MP, this is the one I want. Hey, Kevin, TV viewership and gate attendance were both up this year. We did mention that. I watched almost every game. In my opinion, we need a 10th team, and it's going to be in Halifax, Quebec, or Windsor. So I asked you, Dave, on the way in, did you watch a lot of the CFL this year? Where did you come? And I asked the Duke, where and how or what did what the Elks are doing have an impact on your decision? Well, I got to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of Elks games. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I was saying at the break, I I do, I agree with Duke. I think hockey's number one here. It's always going to be number one. If you want to have a CFL team with a lot of attention, you got to be winning games. Uh, That's just my opinion. Um, Like I was saying for myself, I remember playing down in Medicine Hat in junior, you know, and we'd be watching the CFL playoffs and the Eskies were always in there and it was... It was a source of pride. They're, uh, you know, a perennial contender, and and I was real into it in those days. And uh, moved down to the states and living in America for that long, and and your American teammates just constantly bashing the CFL and, <laughs> and how bad it is, and two teams with one name, yeah, rough riders, <laughs> and, obviously. Yeah, so I mean, you you get into the NFL a little bit more living down there for sure, and then uh, with the name change, and it seemed like just the success went down the mm-hmm. drain kind of coincided with the name change and I, I feel like the the team just kind of lost a lot of steam in the city over the last two three years here but you went to a lot of games as a young kid growing up i here. did yeah i used to 100 percent. who were you watching why did you go like what was it like back then? You're uh, what, you're 15, 14? What, what, yeah, what are we talking about? I mean, even as a young kid, you're going to watch Gizmo Williams and mm-hmm. do a backflip when he got a touchdown, right? <laughs> they haven't had a lot of that. I mean, they had the one punt return this year. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't seen a lot of special then, teams touchdowns uh, for sure. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I remember going with all my buddies. Uh, they had the cheap section with the, mm-hmm. the no backs to the seats there. I can't remember what it was, it was called. Well, they've had the knot hole gang over the years. That's yeah. sort of been a a hybrid or something of it. I mean, the knot hole gang goes back to Clark. Right. Back in the mid-70s and things like that. I got to be honest, though, I haven't been to a game in at least five years. I think next year we're going to go to a game. All right. We'll sit in the stands. 
relax, maybe watch a home victory. Hopefully watch a win, yeah. They seem to be coming around. That's going to help. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, Oilers wave goaltender Jack Campbell. When you saw that, were you at all surprised? Not surprised that they made a move. Honestly, I mean, I woke up that morning and looked at my phone and I was like, they've got to make a move this morning. Like something's got to happen mm-hmm. after this. So I, I wasn't surprised to see the move. Sucks for Jack Campbell. I mean, it's in my opinion, is he the reason that all for all this disaster happening right now? No. Is he part of it? Yes. I mean, he, he signed a nice five-year deal at five a year. He's, he's just going to be expected to make some big saves to steal a game or two. And, and so far he hasn't done that. So, I mean, I, I can say that move is justified. Do I think it's going to fix all the problems the Oilers have? No. I think until their D start moving the puck and playing better in front of them, and I mean, just as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not scoring, they're not defending, they're not doing anything well right now. So hopefully this move is kind of a kick in the butt for the rest of the group and they can kind of rally around this and... You know, I was reading up on Olivier Rodrigue. Olivier Rodrigue and then Cal Pickard as well down right. on the farm. So yeah. I think he's got some of the best numbers in the American <laughs> yeah. League. So, I mean, you never know. Maybe he's your uh, Matt Murray story from seven, eight years ago out of Pittsburgh. Well, I might I think, be pulling the things. <laughs> but, <laughs> wow. I can't you never I, know, baby. <laughs> I, can't, I can't see Schlemmer from, the, from five feet away here because of the magic pixie dust that's been floating in the studio here. So... Cal Pickard will likely get the call up. I think we're probably two, three hours, three hours away from when Jack Campbell clears waivers. Cal Pickard gets the call up. I'm going to start with that question first. So if he gets a call up, would you start Cal Pickard in goal tomorrow in San Jose? I would. I mean, what do they have to lose right now? Mm-hmm. I'd give the kid a shot. I think it might give the... Give the team a little boost, a little energy to go and, you know, play a little better in front of them, maybe. And what happens if Skinner starts and he lets in a softy in the first period and, you know, the energy is just right down the tank again. It's like, again, it's a a no-win, no-lose situation. See what happens tomorrow. I don't know how you think about this. I mean... It's funny, Jay Woodcroft says, well, we'll see what the, you know, we'll talk amongst the coaches and see what the coaching staff says, and then it's ultimately his decision. There's no question about that, without a shadow of a doubt. The question that I wanted to ask before that one was, so yesterday the Oilers had an off day in Vancouver. So play Monday night, this is a scheduled off day because, and we'll get to the schedule in a second, but scheduled off day tomorrow, uh, sorry, yesterday, they have a kind of a team dinner, and they want to. If you want to call it a rookie dinner, call it whatever you want. So it's a, it's that it's a team get together, team function. Yep. How different would that dynamic be? Going to this dinner, doing whatever, spending time with your teammates. Well, seven or eight hours after you've just found out that one of your best buddies was put on waivers. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, if it is the rookie dinner, it might be a really good time for that, I think, honestly, for the mm-hmm. boys to just go and blow it out, blow off some steam and mm-hmm. kind of bond together because nobody's believing them in them on the outside right now, right? So maybe this is a perfect time for them to kind of band together. Um, I'm sure the coaching staff wasn't too happy about the way it worked out <laughs> with the day <laughs> off and, and rookie dinner, rookie party. Uh, yes. 
<clears throat> the way things are going. But, um, you know, hopefully it's, it's the spark. It's kind of the bond they need to bounce out of this thing. Kevin Carey is with co-host David Schlemko on Sports 1440. Let's have a little lightness here. Do you remember your first rookie dinner? Did you have to, was there more rookies than when you, when you were a rookie? How many rookies were on the team that had to, I guess, host the rookie dinner, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, you know, I, my story's kind of weird. I had an injury like the first th- three years of my career when they had rookie dinner <laughs> on the road. So actually, I, I didn't pay until like my fourth year. <laughs> was, well, at least you had a little more dough at that point. Exactly. And it was in Buffalo, so it wasn't too oh. bad even. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't really feel like you know, a rookie, but I just paid. <laughs> doesn't Buffalo just get it all the time? Not, never mind with everything else with the Bills and this and that and the Sabres have never won and the Bills lose four Super Bowls. Now Schlemmer just brings up, well, I was in Buffalo, the rookie dinner in Buffalo. Well, I mean, there's a lot of them that are in like Vegas. That can be, you know, four or five times as the price as dinner in in Buffalo. So I I appreciated it. So like, what, did you just go for Buffalo wings or what did you do? No, it was a nice restaurant, but it's not like Vegas or New York City or something. (laughs) Another, Another aspect of the rookie dinners, would you agree that, and maybe it got pared down, we always heard stories, rumors that they were getting so out of hand financially wise and whatever else wise you want to say that teams had to say, hey, we got to take a step back here. Yeah, I've heard some real horror stories from uh, certain teams. I think it depends on your leadership group. Uh, I had Shane Doan, so obviously he was pretty good and puts a cap on what everyone had to spend mm-hmm. and all that. But uh yeah, I remember hearing a story when I was young about Boston, I think it was, and Chris Bork, I don't remember, mm-hmm. if you remember the name, like kind of a career minor leaguer, like a good player, good mm-hmm. player in the minors, but he'd finally cracked the team in Boston at a training camp, and I think he ended up having to pay like 26 grand or something at rookie dinner, and ended up getting sent down. <laughs> that's a tough one to that's swallow. A t- that's a tough one. Any, I'm, did any of the vets help him out? Or? I would hope so. I'm not sure. I kind of heard the story secondhand. Because it can get quite costly, as you said. Do you remember what you paid? Or was there more than one? Or were you the only rookie for yours? No, there, no. Yeah. We had a handful. I, I think I ended up paying four, five grand maybe. Mm-hmm. Which was not, still a lot back, you know. It's still a good chunk of change. Yeah. But, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, no. of the different stories I've heard of what the vets are ordering and the kind of wine and booze they're ordering at dinner at it can add up pretty quick sometimes. It really is got kind of, yeah. And again, I think it's good on the players and the veterans and the leadership group, as you say, to kind of rein it in because a lot of these guys, they come up and they're just, you know, wow. So, I mean, even though, who, and then, you know, think about COVID. You know, you weren't you weren't having these big dinners. You weren't going out. The restaurants were closed. You That's Things like true. that, you know. You weren't able to do a lot of these things for a couple of years or at least a year on the road. That's a great point. I wonder so, if guys had to make it up you at think, a later date. Do you think like a guy, I'm trying to think who would be a, a, a big rookie back in the COVID time. Duke, can you help us out with your brilliant mind? I actually like, like to know that. Uh, is there anyone that you could think of that maybe had... Ah, oh, we're going to wait. Now you're going to get it the following year. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, too. Off, off the top of my head, this is, just comes to mind because, hey, I was watching them last night, and they're kind of my squad. But, like, the COVID season, I believe, was when Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale were okay. rookies in Anaheim. And, and I think okay. if you look at any teams that are bad during that stretch, usually bad teams tend to have more rookies 
because yep. they're either calling mm-hmm. up AHL players to fill spots and, you know, quote-unquote not tank, uh, and it's just filled out with veterans, or maybe they just had a bunch of high draft picks. So I think any of the bad teams probably would have had a lot of rook- big rookie crops during that year or two stretch. Just that's purely a guess just off the top of my head. But Then they get pushed back a year and yeah i bet whatever. they had to make up for it nobody <laughs> forgot that i didn't pay <laughs> that much uh, when we come back we'll have more with david schlemko we'll check in with carmen defalco espn 1000 i think we're pushing him to the 10 o'clock hour duke is that what's happening yeah carmen had uh, something come up and we're looking to move him after we chat with johnny busick at the 10 o'clock johnny right. busick at 10 o'clock man legend you know what's funny is I talked to, <laughs> you know what, I'm just going to save this for 10 o'clock because I talked to Johnny on the phone uh, last Friday, I guess. And then I talked to his brother, Bill. I've talked to his brother, Bill, about three times now. Now, his brother, Bill, would probably be a lot of fun on this show. Oh, yeah? Like, he is a hoot on the phone. So, right on. Uh, anyway, I think we'll just save that maybe a little bit later in the show for those couple of stories. Um, so, tons more with David Schlemko on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Kevin Curious, David Schlemko on Sports 1440. If you've got a text, send it our way, 1-833-401-1440. Or if you've got a question for either myself, Schlemmer, or the Duke, same number, 1-833-401-1440. Text coming in from Johnny Wishbone. Why the hell are they having dinner and partying and drinking and laughing? They should be working on their game, practicing, skating, looking at tape, meetings. That's what they should be doing. Johnny Wishbone. Sounds like Johnny's never played on a pro team before. <laughs> or Johnny's, Johnny's been doing a lot of this on his own. Who knows? Oh, I guarantee you there's no shortage of video and stuff going on in the Oilers' room right now, but... Every once in a while when things are going bad and there doesn't seem to be an answer, even I've heard of coaches telling leadership groups, like, take the boys, go out, get just completely annihilated, go bond, go hash through the crap or air it all out, whatever you got to do. Just everybody go out and figure it out. (laughs) So how many times did this happen, I think, I'm not asking you know, if you did it how, how you know every year things like that, but you recall even when you were playing that you guys needed a release valve, whatever you want to call it, to help a team move forward. A hundred percent, I would say it happened at least once every year on every team I played on. I mean, it's an it's an 82 game season. It's a grind, you know. It's mm-hmm. all you're always doing video. You're always breaking everything down. You're always thinking about your last shift of every game, every period. It's sometimes it is nice to just go and blow some steam off, and that helps the guys kind of bond, gel mm-hmm. together, and you know come back and and work for each other. Maybe a little bit harder. Maybe a little bit more desperate. Whatever it is, for some reason it seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you this one, Schlemmer, about the Oilers' schedule in the sense of games and days off. So right now, okay, they played on Monday, two yep. days off. Before that, they had a day off when they played following the game Saturday. Before they played Dallas last Thursday, they had Wednesday off, the Tuesday off, and the Monday off, three days after the Heritage Classic. Right. Everyone says, well, you need the rest, you need this, you need it. It's a lot. You just said it's a grind, it's a long season. Has the fact that they're not getting into any rhythm, playing every second day, been a problem for this team 
to have success? I think the way they're going right now, it's definitely the last thing they want is a bunch of days off between games. When when things aren't going well, when you're losing, like you want to play that next day. Absolutely. That's the nice thing about hockey compared to, say, football, is you don't have to wait another week to get out there. So, yeah, I'd say that's definitely working as a disadvantage right now. <laughs> I don't laugh a lot of what happens on social media, but, Duke, you got to just check. So, Gregor, did you know Gregor says that if the Sharks beat the Oilers tomorrow, he's not cutting his hair for seven months? Oh, yeah? He's going to grow the flow out. Well, I don't know how much flow he has to grow out. So anyway, Gregor just sent a post on social media. Can you did, can you see it, Duke? Can you Will you be able to see it? Or I'm, uh, I'm trying to, like he there, tweeted it? Well, Gregor oh, retweeted it. Oh, a nice little Photoshop from uh, Bodnerchuk. <laughs> so Yikes. I don't know who this Bodnerchuk dude is, but anyway, that is, I'd almost want to see the Oilers lose tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That is nice, uh, what do they call that? Like a skullet? No, he said it's called, <laughs> what is it? The Leahy. The, well, the Leahy. And oh, apparently Leahy. every person in the world except Kevin Carius has seen Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. Uh, really? Even Speck yeah. knew what we were talking about. But uh, no, but there was a, what did some one of the Texan, a, a skirted egg. <laughs> First of all, I don't think that there's no, there's any way Gregor could grow that much hair on the sides and whatever. Well, that's probably why they had to put the longer timetable on it because it would take that long for it to actually be like noticeable in terms of the growth. <laughs> There's no way Tracy lets them do that. There's none. It's not happening. Uh, it'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would. <laughs> yes, it would. Top of the hour at seven, Schlemmer, we were kind of discussing what the Oilers kind of need We've all dissected this to death. You, even when you came in, you're off the start. So instead of trying to dissect it over and over and over again, what would be some of the solutions? So instead of saying the Oilers stink at this, blah, 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 in turn, it's almost those things are the solutions. You have to fix them. So can you kind of touch on that? Is there something in your mind, something that you've seen over your career, something that you've noticed with this team right now that you could say, they got to fix this. This is a solution moving forward. The first thing that hops to my mind is just the little details in their zone and their D zone. I mean, if you, especially after watching the game against Vancouver, look at the, look at how much success they've had with Tockett come in mm-hmm. and he's got them playing the right way. I think the Oilers in front of their own net is an absolute tire fire. Like, they're not under sticks. They're not boxing out. I mean, they're D. They mm-hmm. don't move the puck well out of the zone. They're not moving their feet when they're trying to move the puck. I mean, after watching the game the other night, I'm just thinking we need another D-man that can move the puck. I mean, you have this group of forwards that's supposed to be so dynamic offensively, and we're not scoring any goals. So something's got to be wrong there. Like, I just I think, I think they need another puck moving D. Okay. I wrote these kind of down, not in any order, because it has been dissected to death. So goaltending, make a save. Yeah. I mean, Campbell has been, he's the, he's the, the guy that fall, he's the fall guy here. Right. For a lot of things. A lot of things. Well, so, that's, that's the thing. It's hard, it's hard to break it down to one because they're the highest, one of the highest or one of the highest mm-hmm. scoring teams in the league last year. And now they're second last. So awareness, I mean, awareness on the ice is the biggest one for me. Yeah, we had Frank Saravalli on. He sort of I I thought and 
you can argue this both ways. The second and fourth goals against Vancouver are microcosms of the Oilers' season. And the second goal is off the rush. Here's another. I want to ask this one, this question to you. Why, and it's not just the Oilers, Dave. Why does every team wait for the defenseman behind the, the net? So you're gone in on the forecheck. In that case, on the second goal against Vancouver, Dylan Holloway standing in front of Thatcher Demko for, call it five to seven seconds. Just waiting there. Okay. Waiting for the breakout. You've got... Four guys back, technically. It wasn't really like that, but <laughs> yeah. supposed to be back in the neutral zone to clog it up, yeah. correct? Yeah. Why do why do teams let... Because even in that in that system, teams still break out and they get the puck in the opposition net. Why not force... And a lot of this happens... A lot of this happens when the team is changing. The defenseman will stay behind the net. Two, three guys go off on a change. The guy that's... Technically, if, that, if you want to call him F1 on the forward yeah. uh, for, for the team that's forechecking, he's just standing there waiting for the breakout. Why don't teams force the play, go after him, get a little bit ahead of, a, ahead of steam, swoop in? You, maybe sometimes you go in front of the goalie, sometimes you go behind. Like a flush, yeah. Like a flush. Why, why don't more teams do that? Because nine times out of ten, the team breaking out, gets into the opposition zone. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about nine times out of ten, but... Um, We're going to start counting. Because <laughs> it's a lot. Um, I think you used to see that F1 flush a lot more um, five, six, seven years ago. I think a lot of the D skates so well now that you're just losing F1 on the forecheck, mm-hmm. especially if you're starting standing right behind the net. I like the flush play. Um, if you, like you said, if you have a head of steam, if you have some momentum and you can kind of take that low angle along the goal line and kind of stunt, like you're going to chase him behind and get him going that way and then cut in front of the net and flush him out the other way. I think that's a tough play for a D and where you're not going to completely lose that F1. But if you're just standing in front of the net waiting and you go to flush him out one way or the other, I think you're just losing that F1. So you're agree. Most coaches teach not to chase behind the net unless you have like a stick length on the guy. So every time moving forward, when a defenseman has the puck behind the net, we're going to count how many times that the team gets it past the red line. We're going to be analytics guys now. I'm not, I am not, but I just, I just, that's, that's one thing that that sort of drives me a little bit nuts. It depends what that team's doing on their set breakout too, right? So some teams will swing three guys low, some will stretch two at the far blue line. So I think it, it depends where where you want to kind of jam things up mm-hmm. on, on your set four check, depending on what the other team's doing, right? So some teams, I remember Anaheim back in the day, when they were a big heavy group up front, like they would send three guys right up to those low swinging mm-hmm. guys and try to just stuff you right there. And then... There are certain teams that will, like you said, try and sit back and kind of clog it up in the neutral zone, turn the puck over. David Schlemko, our co-host on Wednesdays, Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. So, getting back to that goal, Dave, it was uh, basically on the rush. The biggest part, the biggest error on that goal, in your opinion, is the defense backing in all the way to the hash marks on the rush, or where is the breakdown in your mind? In my opinion, the breakdown is on the sword out on entry. I think Fogel's got to let that wide guy go to Kulak. 
Okay. Uh, there was a guy driving wide, um, and I think it was DeHarnay, I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but yes. he was driving wide to the net, so DeHarnay's got to stay with him. That's the middle or the drive guy. Fogel has to so have I think suitor. If, I think if Fogel just hands off uh, the guy with the puck to the D-man and picks up the late guy, it's a nothing play, but they both duplicate on the guy with the puck and give up a slot shot. Granted, it wasn't a great goal, mm-hmm. but... I think that's where the breakdown happens. Haven't seen again. I asked about it yesterday, Duke, and I, I I looked last night. I couldn't find a replay on the goal except for because there was two feeds coming out of Vancouver, right? So a lot of the feeds that you might see on the interweb might not have it. But you, it almost looked like the, the and I'm not, I'm not coming to Skinner's defense here. It almost looked like the puck just ticked the stick of Kulak oh, on, yeah. on the shot of uh, Pia Suter. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so... I haven't been able to find it, though. I haven't been able to find it. Uh, text coming in, one 401 That's the thing, though, right? Is that yeah. they're, just, they're working hard. Fogel's working hard there. He's trying to track the puck, but he's he's not working smart. There's mm-hmm. no shoulder check there to find that high guy, and now he's walking in down the middle of the ice in the slot for uh, another high-danger scoring chance. And there's been a lot of them. There's been a few. Text comes in, trade Dreisaitl for Brady Kachuk straight. Dreisaitl can join Stutzel, fellow German. Oh, boy, man. Could you imagine? Like, there's Be no, a blockbuster. Yeah, well, that, and maybe that's what needs to happen, a blockbuster. There was an opportunity, I wouldn't say an opportunity, years ago where the, the talk was to trade, it was Leon and Nurse to Florida for Barkov and Ekblad. It's an interesting trade. And back, this is before all the contracts kept coming. This is before Nurse signed nine. Like right now, there's no way Ottawa makes this trade. None whatsoever. No. None. Zero. Well, there's no way. The one thing with Leon is he's got a really nice contract right now. Well, he that's, does, but that's, that's what I mean. Change, but right? Kachuk's got a great contract moving forward for a long time. True. There's no way that Ottawa, even though you could get romanticized by the opportunity to have Stutzla and Drysaddle there, could put up a lot of numbers. But Brady Kachuk is the heart and soul of your yeah, team. Yeah, he's, he's the your heartbeat captain. of that team, right? I mean... <clears throat> he does it all. Not not happening. But. Yeah. Hey, Bandelson. Bendelson, still a bad goal, but yes, it hit Kulak's stick. Good eye. Look at that. Good eye, Kevin. Good eye. Uh, DC. And if you flush them out behind the net, they may not be ready for their breakout, which is kind of what I was saying, especially when you see how many times do you see a defenseman have the puck or even a forward. Defenseman comes off and he'll just hand it off to his own D-man and then go off for a change. To me, that's a green light to go in there and buzz them. Buzz them and get them out of there, see what happens. And then that F2, because you're flushing them out, that F2 goes to the the D-man behind the net has basically one place to go. Because now he's in panic mode. Yeah. Unless he's skating the puck up the middle of the ice. (laughs) (laughs) I I used to do that behind the net sometimes. I would, you know, stop and I'd sit there with one hand on my stick and kind of pretend like you're just sitting back, not paying attention. And Mm -hmm. they try to flush you out and see you later. Hey, Duke, how are we making out for 940? Anything shaking or what? We do? Uh, yes, we're going to have uh, Serge Lajoie. Lajoie. Perfect. Okay. From the Edmonton Oil Kings, Josh. Oh, great. Sergey. Perfect. Serge Lajoie will be with us uh, at 940. That's excellent. So we'll uh, check in with the Oil Kings. Yeah, I mean, and you know a lot of these Oil Kings players because a lot of them. And then there was, uh, I was just actually talking to Taz, Matt Tassoni, and then there was a couple call-ups from NAX, right? Last yeah. week, was it last week? Yeah. 
couple yeah. guys came up from NAX to uh, the oil. Got a little of a pipeline going there. Yeah, there is. Uh, so we'll check in with Serge Lajoie, assistant coach and former of the Oil Kings, former Golden Bears coach, AJ Chell. Uh, Serge Lajoie, also a former Melville millionaire. Did you know that, Duke? We go back a long <laughs> way. Uh, oh, I better say that. I better get this one in. Uh, this comes from uh, Houts. Uh, Kevin, how about a little shout out to the Melville millionaires? Top in the South Division in the SJHL. Great show, Houts. It's never happened before. The team, <laughs> the team is the team has been just horror awful for a long time. Oh yeah. yeah. When we come back, Serge Lejoie from the Edmonton Oil Kings. It's Carius Schlemko on Sports fourteen forty. Stay with us. More after the break. All right, welcome back to Sports 1440. Time to elevate your game by Ram Elevators and Lifts. Unlock the potential of your residence with a home elevator or lift. You can learn more at TrustRam.com as we welcome in Serge Lejoie, assistant coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Good morning, Serge. You're with Kevin Carius and an old friend of yours, David Schlemko. Hey, Serge. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Hey, David. How are you? I'm good, sir. How about you? Uh, Things are good. So you guys were together... Schlemmer was saying at OHA? That's right. Yeah, we uh, were coaching on different teams, but uh, around uh, each other quite a bit during practice time, and I think we had a chance to be on the bench together. So got to know David and really appreciated our time together. A lot yep. of fun. Yeah, that was my first year uh, kind of coming into coaching, so got to learn the ropes a little bit from a nice grizzled vet there. <laughs> <laughs> grizzled is for sure. <laughs> grizzled vet is for sure, uh, as we're with Serge Lejoie from the Edmonton Oil Kings. How would you kind of assess in a nutshell and uh, grade your team so far in the early going here, Serge, the Oil Kings? Yeah, there's, you know, there's been a lot of uh, positives uh, that we're able to build off of. And uh, I think uh, mixed in there is also, you know, we've gone through some growing pains, uh, just a sign of, of uh, at times uh, learning how to, how to be a little bit more mature uh, within games and how to, to be able to navigate through various situations. But uh, I think, um, you know, even though I don't think our record really reflects how we've played, there, there's been a stretch there, even though we went on a losing run, uh, there was games that we felt that, we, uh, you know, we were the stronger team. Just didn't capitalize on our chances, and uh, um, you know, with, uh, with a little bit uh, better luck on our special teams, uh, we could have a better record. So I think we're taking, we're keeping things in perspective. Uh, have that workmanlike approach every day is an opportunity to get better. So um, we definitely need to be better, uh, but there's a collective uh, understanding of that, and and uh, we're right back at it again today, and just getting ourselves ready for our weekend against Calgary. Right on, Serge. So you talk you talk about the growing pains. It seems like it kind of happens with every team throughout junior. You know, you especially once you have a period of success, you kind of sell the farm a little bit, try to go for that Mem Cup, win a championship, and you know the, the Oil Kings were that perennial team for a few years there. Now you go through this so-called rebuilding process. Um, when you're going through it as a staff, what's kind of the plan to, to make these growing pains as, as short as possible and, you know, get back to that winning and having success? Well, I think the, the most important thing for us was to, to lay out a game plan and show uh, where we want it to be and where we need to be at the different uh, stages throughout the year. So whether it's through, uh, you know, some analytics or some stats or uh, this is, you know, 
uh, where we need to position ourselves at the, at a different stage. So we've kind of put that in place, and then we kind of let that simmer a little bit. But uh, players know exactly where they need to go, and now we show them the ways, and that's the process. And that's what we come back to. Uh, every game is an opportunity for us to reflect, analyze, you know, the areas that we we're showing improvement in, and it's important to. Uh, layer a lot of those positive uh, clips in there for the players and um, and then we, we show areas that we need to grow uh, and I think that that's, that's it's it's constant every day uh, you got to balance the the positives with the growth uh, areas and that's what we continue to do uh, but I think more importantly is what is a, a successful team look like and how do they behave day to day at practice uh, at the rink, away from the rink during games, and I think that that's that's where a lot of growth is is starting to show with our team. Is how do you handle practices? How do you handle games? What do you have to you know? What are you accountable and responsible individually? And and uh, that's where you know with our staff uh, we make sure that uh, every player is 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 taken care of, so to speak. And uh, so that's why they're they're long days. They're great days because you see a lot of growth in the, in our young players. Edmonton Oil Kings assistant coach Serge Lajoie our guest on Sports 1440. Kevin Carries, David Schlemko with you. Serge, what's it like to have a defenseman by the name of Mark Lajoie on the team coaching him? Yeah, it's, uh, well, uh, he's been a great addition. Um, and I know it's uh, somewhat biased. I, I know him very well. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's, He's been uh, he's been very good with our young defense, um, and that's exactly we were looking for a player like uh, you know Mark's experience. He has over 240 games in the WHL and, mm-hmm. and could weather some some difficult times. And you know it wasn't always easy for him in Tri Cities from a team perspective. And uh, finally made the playoffs last year, so he's he's kind of gone through it and and is able to kind of you know bring a, a, an even feel approach to things but uh it's you know it, it's been very good uh, he's at the stage of his uh, junior career where um even though uh, you know he's, he's got his dad on the bench it's at the rink it's uh, it's coach player relationship mm-hmm. um you know from a family standpoint what we appreciate is is to have him home he's been away since the age of 16 so uh you know he's grown up away from us and it's nice for us to, to have him back around uh, our family a lot more and uh, gives us a chance to to help him have a good last season in WHL and help him move on to whatever hockey and life has in store for him uh, after this season. Did that player-coach-player-dad relationship, is it harder than you thought it would be or easier? Or what's it like? Yeah, it's uh, I, it's been maybe what what I expected. Uh, Mark is... is very mature in, in his approach. The the one thing that uh, we wanted to make sure is that uh, our relationship as, as father son did not impact the relationships that he needed to build with his teammates, and uh, and that's where I felt comfortable. Mark's approach every day is is what do I need to do to get better? How can I do it in a respectful, hardworking way? But also understands the the inner workings and the dynamics that are necessary within the dressing room with his teammates. So I think that the, he's made things easier for me because um, he approaches everything in a, in a very professional manner. So in that sense, it's been easier, but also 
Um, his teammates have, it hasn't been awkward for, for his, mm-hmm. uh, for Mark in regards to that relationship with his teammates. His teammates have been accepting of him and, uh, recognize that, uh, he's just, he's just another player on the team and happens to have a dad with, uh, you know, with a long <laughs> coaching resume <laughs> on the bench. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been special. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's, I enjoy being at the rink. Not only with Mark, but with this group of players, it's a, it's a, a fun group to be around, a group that is, is trending in the right direction. So, uh, all that in, you know, in the mix, and it's it's been a, a good first quarter for us. Yeah, that's a that's a cool experience for the both of you. That I'm, I'm sure you guys will remember forever. Um, yeah. Just uh, like you speak about, maybe just the difference between coaching at uh, the CIS level at the U of A and uh, and the Dub level. Um, is there a difference in kind of professionalism, systems, um, maybe the maturity of the kids? Uh, what's the difference been like? Yeah, and well, you've kind of touched on all the things that that really is is the difference between the two levels. And when I was at the U of A, uh, keep in mind that. Uh, we would bring in players that had played four or five years in the WHL. So naturally, right. their their that experience is um, is quite different. We're here; the age group is you know bring guys in at 16, 17, mm-hmm. and uh, the approach from a coaching standpoint is there's a lot more teaching. Uh, I benefited, and our coaches at the U of A benefited from players having had some good coaching good experience so we were able to progress a lot quicker and when we implemented systems and and any kind of adjustments they were able to adjust real quick just because of they, they had experienced those those various um, you know situations in a game here it's it's we have to make sure that that we have a teaching approach and uh, mindful that you know they can only handle so much so we chunk a lot of information and and you know we have to be willing to spend time with them, uh, building the relationship and that trust first and foremost. So um, a lot easier to, to build that relationship at the older level. Here, it's you have to make a conscious effort, and uh, and that's actually one of the areas I I, I really enjoy is is uh, you know getting to know the players, getting to know what their areas of interest are, building that trust, so that you know when you have to have more difficult conversations. Uh, which are necessary for them to grow and and develop uh you know it's a lot easier to have those so it's uh yeah it's 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 a lot of fun every day is different uh not to say that it was you know it wasn't enjoyable at the university level but these kids are they're they're trying to figure themselves out and you know if we can as coaches can play a small part in that uh that's quite a gratifying uh opportunity for us Serge Lajoie, assistant coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, is our guest. Carriers Schlemko on Sports 1440. What's the difference, Serge, from the four or five year span now compared to when you were in Kamloops uh, with the Blazers as a head coach? Is the is the game a lot different? Are the kids different? Can you kind of just compare those two, um, you know, cities, uh, places, even though it is only like four years difference? Yeah, and I think that there has been a. To me, there's a difference, and there, there's been a change, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been drastic, but it's it's continuous, and it's a continual change in terms of players uh, come come to us at the junior level with having experienced a lot of hockey, um, are eager to to, to make hockey uh, 
uh, career. Uh, they've invested not only themselves in terms of time and effort, but their parents in terms of time, effort, and money. So they're really invested in, in their careers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and I don't use the word entitled, but there's a certain level of expectation for those players. So as coaches, we have to understand that. And it's not that they're, they're not entitled. They are they are in need and they want information. They just want to know why. Why am I doing what I'm... Why are, why are they asked to do what, uh, what we're demanding of them as coaches? And that's where that relationship piece comes in. Uh, so that's, that's what I find. There's been a change from the player standpoint, but also there's a, a better understanding from the coaches that that's, that's just the, the, the environment that we work in. Um, it's, it's much more of a partnership. That's what the players expect. Uh, there's uh, there's a need for information, a need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. But at the end of the day, I think um, they want to be successful and they're willing to do what is necessary to be successful. They just don't always know the path and, and the way to get about it. So that's, that's, again, where we come in. Yeah. So, I mean, especially having a young team like you guys have, how important is it to find those quality older players to kind of help relay that message and build that culture it's it's vital uh, they're an extension of the coaches uh, we we lean heavily on our on our our older players you know not only our 20 year olds but there's some good 19 year olds and 18 year olds that still have experience but you know like we talked about mark earlier but uh you know ty nash and uh and uh, Bruce have been, you know, they're invaluable to, to helping those younger guys right. just feel good about their game, understand why they need to do what they need to do, and also understand that there's, there's an evolution. You know, as much as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, you might want certain things. I think it's, you know, you, you've got to understand that, the, the, not that the, you have to earn it, but you've got to work for it. And in due time, if you put in the work and you have the right approach and, and uh, you're open to, to, to some feedback so that you grow, then you find yourself that you're prepared for, for when you get your opportunity and then you, get the, you end up getting the, the success that, the, that you're striving for. One last one for you. One last one for you, Serge. Uh, I ran into Billy Moores on Friday at Claire Drake Arena. You played five years for the Golden Bears. So what did you learn from, I guess, Billy Moores and Claire Drake in your time as a player with the Golden Bears? Well, uh, just a beautiful man. Uh, learned a lot from him. Uh, he had the, uh, from a hockey perspective and also from a personal level, had a, a huge impact in, in my development, my growth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was fortunate to play one year for Claire Drake. It was all about hard work, right? Bring your energy, be responsible, uh, but treat every day as an opportunity to get better. And not only, you know, haphazard, get better. It's like be intentional in everything that you do and know what you need to be better at. So um, yeah, I can't say enough about Billy. Uh, he helped me a lot. Uh, just for me to, to kind of carve my way through the coaching uh, ranks, but also understand my areas that I needed to work on. And, uh, you know, I don't see him enough, but we used to have breakfast every mm-hmm. Mondays when I was coaching at the U of A and he was instrumental in, in making sure that, uh, uh when I left the U of A, it's, uh, I, I feel that I, I left it in a good place and he was a big part of that. 
Hey, Serge, thanks for doing this on kind of short notice. Good luck uh, Friday in Calgary, Saturday here, correct? Yes, that's absolutely right. So I appreciate you guys having me on. And, David, it's nice to connect. I haven't seen you in a while, and uh, uh, hope you're doing well. Thanks, Serge. You too, bud. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. See you, Kevin. Yeah, see you later, Serge. That's Serge Lajoie for Elevate Your Game by Ram Elevators and Lifts, manufacturing the safest elevators since 1987. Trust Ram.com as the Oil Kings will try to elevate their game Friday in Calgary and then Saturday night, 7 o'clock puck drop at Rogers Place against the same Calgary hitmen. We wish them the very best this weekend. When we come back at the top of the hour... Johnny Busick, former Boston Bruin and Detroit Red Wing, got to mention that, and former Edmonton Flyer from 70 years ago. Legend. A legend. No question about that. Before that, well, let's check in with the Duke with a sports 1440 update.